This is episode 78. Thank you for coming back for another serving of PT Meal Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about long COVID from the lived experience of a physiotherapist who actually contracted the disease. Daria Oler is a physical therapist and a certified athletic trainer. She described to us what long COVID is and what the scientific community knows about it. She also discussed management strategies for people who experience the symptoms of long COVID, specifically stop, rest, pace. She also shared her personal experience in having COVID and feeling the effects of long COVID. Lastly, she talked about the story of long COVID physio, an international peer support, education, and advocacy group of physiotherapists living with long COVID and allies. Now, let's take a listen. All right, welcome back to another episode of PT Meal Podcast, a buffet of play, therapies, movement, exercises, activities, and leisure, all packed in a hearty conversation of physical therapy uh, profession and practice. I'm Johan de La Paz, your host. Great to have you back on this podcast. So last September, we celebrated World PT Day, and the theme or campaign for that celebration uh, for this year was uh, Long COVID and Rehabilitation, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So to help us with the topic, uh, she is one of the founding members of Long COVID Physio, an international support group of physiotherapists, physiotherapists who themselves had COVID and uh, are trying to increase awareness of the effects of long COVID. So let me welcome Daria Oler. Uh, Daria, <laughs> thank you for being in the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited uh, to be here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, when I was researching for the, you know, the celebration of World PT Day, just to, you know, increase awareness again with uh, my fellow physical therapists in the Philippines, I, I came across your your um, website, Long Long COVID Physio, and that's why I was so excited to to invite anyone in your your organization to to this podcast. So, give you know increase awareness to what long covid is because we all know you know so far we're familiar with covid and uh its effects but we're right we're kind of right now discovering what long covid is um and not many people have encountered or handled patients with covid so it's somewhat new even like for me i haven't i i don't um treat patients with covid so that's why when i heard about long covid also oh so there's sir there's some persistent symptoms after covid so that's what i'm excited to talk about and also coming from the experience of someone who had covid and physical therapy perspective so but before we really dive into that um could you give us a little background on you know uh, who you are your, what your current practice is and why physical therapy? Why, why did you become a physical therapist? Sure. So I started my undergrad degree is in athletic training from James Madison University. So working predominantly with athletes. I worked a lot with uh, college level athletes and high school level athletes. And while I was finishing my AT program, that's when PT was really pushing to move to a doctor. And I was just kind of went, huh, what about PT? <laughs> so I looked into it and it just seemed really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I always like to be like fully honest that I really only knew like ortho outpatient. I wasn't familiar with all of the other settings, um, but it, it seemed, you know, it seemed really interesting to me. So I went on to PT school at Seton Hall and I graduated in 2010. And after that, I went to Penn State. I was in a PhD program for four years doing research on youth sport injury and illness epidemiology at Penn State sport camps. So just studying all the injuries and illnesses that were happening to the campers. And at the same time, I'm also a dancer. So I was teaching dance at a nonprofit studio that's down the street from Penn State. Um, so then I moved back to New Jersey and started working in ortho outpatient at a little clinic. Um, and then January, 2020, I switched jobs to where I am now, which is Proactivity, which is in Lebanon, New Jersey. So my time is split. Part of my time, I'm in an outpatient clinic, predominantly orthopedics, loss of athletes, but some other um, chronic conditions also. And then in the mornings, we have employer clients, which means we go on site to people's workplaces and we're working with construction type um, workers. And we do a lot of prevention and health promotion so we're there to help people, you know, when they get injured, um, whether it's work related or not, but also trying to get upstream and get ahead of things and talk about the importance of eating well and exercising and sleeping well and connecting with other people. So it's a lot of fun. Right. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting to have such two different aspects um, to what I do. Uh huh. Yeah, so I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know any of that existed in physical therapy. <laughs> so how, how different is it from like the, your work clients? Um, 
side and to your athlete side. Yeah. So, okay. So like, um, like comparing like the employer clients. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh yeah. It's interesting because on one end we think of like a traditional athlete as somebody who plays a sport usually mm-hmm. on a team, maybe not always on a team and they have a structured training program and the goals, you know, whatever they want to achieve in athletics. But when you look at this construction workers that we're with, I mean, it's so incredibly athletic and to see the things that they do, and the learn as I'm learning more and more about this, uh-huh. the positions they have to get into and the extreme conditions they're working working in, like with weather and there's emergencies, you know, when when we have bad weather. So while they might not be formally like training for their job, mm-hmm. it takes so much, so much strength and fitness and mobility. Mm-hmm. And so our approach with them is trying to, you know, we're teaching like they are still athletes. Maybe they're not on a sports team, you know, but they mm-hmm. are still athletes at their job. And and it's a really big push then to get upstream for things because their jobs are so demanding and they're at them sometimes for decades that we want to make sure they're healthy, not only for the current time that they can work, but afterwards that they're able to, you know, retire and enjoy their lives. Right. Like, like construction, when, it, when you, when you said construction works, I'm thinking about like people who really carry a lot of things, heavy weights yeah. and, and, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. That's yeah. part of it that there, it is amazing to learn about all the things that they do. Uh-huh. And even with that, like not all, but, in the clinic, um, some of the athletes I work with, you know, they're young kids in mm-hmm. high school and college, but we also have, um, we have a running club. So I'll work with the runners who are usually um, a little older or like middle age, mm-hmm. but with our employer clients too, they're ranging from their like early mid twenties up to there's people in their seventies and eighties who are still working. Wow. Yeah. So I'm seeing a really, really broad age range too. And mm-hmm. then um, predominantly men, but there's um, women who work there also. Mm-hmm. Wow. Very, very, um, different uh, areas and population and demands in their physical activities, right? So um, let's get now into our topic, which is long COVID. But before, you know, uh, everything else, can you um, describe to us what long COVID is? Is there already a census on what the definition is? Because when I was researching it, there was a lot of, even names for it. There was like persistent post-COVID. There was uh, long-haul COVID. So is there already a, a definite definition already? Sort of. <laughs> I feel like this is just like, I think it's so fascinating to be in the middle of as science is happening and we're mm-hmm. learning things. Mm-hmm. So currently, and this, this will even vary depending sort of on where you're looking, mm-hmm. but it's in general, it's that symptoms are persisting beyond four weeks after your acute infection. And the, the symptoms range, it can be multi-systemic. It's, so it's covering, it literally can cover all body systems. So nobody's presenting the same. It's not like say in my setting, like an orthopedic, somebody has an ankle sprain. It's kind of typical, you know, usually mm-hmm. how ankle sprains present. It, the symptoms really, really can range from some of the things we see in acute COVID, you know, with like chest pain, shortness of breath, coughing, um, things like that. Mm-hmm. But the big ones, we're seeing people that have like crippling fatigue that we call post-exertional symptom exacerbation. Mm-hmm. We're seeing people with cognitive impairments, cognitive deficits. That's a, that's a really, really big one. Mm-hmm. Um, some autonomic dysfunction. So not that any of those are in like a set definition of COVID, but those mm-hmm. are like common things that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And um, what can be, yeah, what you already mentioned, what can be really difficult is the different names. Mm-hmm. So long COVID came from us. It came from the patients literally on social media who mm-hmm. were coming together before the medical community and the research community were like recognizing us. And now we're seeing, yeah, there's different names coming from the World Health Organization, the CDC of the United States. Other researchers are adding things. Long haulers is one that has kind of gotten thrown into on social media. Mm-hmm. But an important thing I think for people to recognize is to be respectful and acknowledge what the patients are experiencing and what they're calling it. Because mm-hmm. how many illnesses or conditions are there that like the patients were the ones who actually kind of started it, right, <laughs> that were right. the ones bringing to the attention of everybody else. So from mm-hmm. the patient perspective, we typically um, tend to call it long COVID. But you have, mm-hmm. yeah, we'd have to recognize there's so many other names for it right now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, something else that's really good to know with this is we're looking at like a definition is somebody might not have a positive test to confirm that they even initially had COVID. For those of us who got sick in the first wave in like mm-hmm. spring 2020, there were no tests or even people sick in winter 2020 there were no tests available. So people got sick and they may or may not have a known exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, We're finding now there are people who are asymptomatic acutely that a positive test because maybe they had a known exposure or their job tests them, you know, however often. And they were asymptomatic at the acute infection and then go on to long COVID later too. Mm -hmm. 
So there is not always that everybody has symptoms acutely and then they just carry on. They might've been fine. And then the mm-hmm. symptoms show up a couple of weeks or months later. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I'll get to it later. Because when you were saying that, I was like, I'm, so I've been like debating in my head that um, there's something kind of wrong with me that I like feeling a lot of fatigue uh, there was a time that we went hiking and days after I experienced, uh, I was so tired, not normal uh, with how I usually like do stuff. And I, 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 I initially I thought it was like, am I depressed? Am I, <laughs> am oh, I just, yeah. uh, am I just like sleep lacks? Do I, do I just like lack sleep? And mm-hmm. <laughs> when you were telling me that, and then I was thinking about that and I wasn't sure if I was exposed as well, if I had COVID back in 2020. So that's quite interesting. And I've had a lot of um, negative results and I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, and that's, that it's fascinating it. with it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. us in healthcare, I mean, everybody probably to some degree had some sort of exposure and didn't uh-huh. know Um like I say, for me, I had a known exposure, um, not even working. I was dancing in New York City in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. I could have had exposures at my old job in a clinic because we were mm-hmm. right outside New York City. Don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what it's so interesting with it. Um, there isn't like a set definite way to, to confirm somebody acutely had COVID necessarily. Um, and then at the same time, there's no set diagnostics for long COVID. We know people are presenting certain ways sometimes. Mm-hmm. But there isn't like a blood test to say you have long COVID. There isn't certain imaging that's going to say that you have long COVID too. So mm-hmm. right now it's sort of putting together that you may or may not have a confirmed acute infection, uh-huh. um, but you are presenting with these symptoms that are lingering. There are certain patterns that we're seeing with it. And mm-hmm. it's saying, well, you know, ruling out other things, very important to rule out other mm-hmm. medical conditions saying, all right, you know, this probably is long COVID. So are the, are the symptoms of long COVID for those who are symptomatic, is it, uh, do they just feel that their symptoms are prolonged or are there other unknown symptoms that they f- that they didn't feel before but yes. suddenly came out? Oh, okay. Yes, yes. So early on, and not that everybody's the same, but like the, uh-huh. the big things seem to be like the respiratory issues people have acutely, some cardiac right. things. There's fatigue that's definitely present. Mm-hmm. But later on, we're seeing things like hair loss. I've had mm. that and there's a lot of women who have... And you don't even, you don't necessarily realize that I thought it was stress. And you're learning, this is, oh, this is a symptom. People mm-hmm. have developed some like allergic type things and changes in like sensitivities and foods and things like that. The autonomic dysfunction isn't always necessarily present early on. Um, An exercise intolerance where mm-hmm. in the beginning, people might not be exercising because they're sick, you know, they mm-hmm. have a fever and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then after that kind of subsides, people are trying to get back and saying, whoa, what's going on? Like having that, like that, that horrible fatigue, just mm-hmm. not being able to do basic things like walking. Um, not everybody has the um, cognitive dif- dysfunction or the brain fog in the beginning. Sometimes that seems to be coming out later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it changes. It is. That's one of the really tricky things. Even this morning on Twitter, there is an OT tweeting that she had heart palpitations. She's been, she's had this for a while. She had heart palpitations last week and they're completely gone now. Hmm. And they're probably going to come back again because that's what happens with this. Okay. Everything, yeah, things can completely resolve. I always say it tricks you. Symptoms can seem to completely resolve. And then for possibly unknown reasons, they come back again. It's episodic. It's unpredictable. So that, that also makes it really tricky to sort of try to get a diagnosis, diagnosis and understand how to work with it. Uh, so when, when did uh, the medical community notice this? I mean, uh, that they recognize that there is something after COVID. It's been slow-ish. It depends uh-huh. on where you look. So in New York City at Mount Sinai in the Petrino lab, they were picking up on this kind of early in like April, uh-huh. May. They were just seeing that people were having these prolonged symptoms when everybody else is saying, oh, it's two weeks and you get better. Uh-huh. So they're kind of early and they're on the forefront with some of this rehabilitation. And then from there, it's just been really slow kind mm-hmm. of trickling, you know, articles are, I mean, months and months and months ago, mm-hmm. things were getting published in big journals like the Lancet and nature, but it's, it's not like a set time. It's just been really, really slow kind of mm-hmm. coming out. 
and I want to say I could be off of this, but I want to say maybe by like late fall, winter last year, we're starting to like hear things. Mm-hmm. The media picking up on stories has been really helpful too, mm-hmm. because it unfortunately, as in learning, is easy for the medical community to dismiss things that they don't know and say it's in your head, right. you're crazy, it's anxiety, it's depression, it's pandemic stress. Mm-hmm. But even as the media was saying, well, here's this story. And now here's mm-hmm. another story and they don't know each other and the stories sound really similar. Mm-hmm. So that's been helpful to get us attention to. But yet even now still there are so many, unfortunately, like, individuals and groups in the medical community that aren't recognizing long COVID or that are downplaying it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I met because it's, as you said, it, it's kind of hard to really pinpoint if this is long COVID because uh, it's, it fluctuates, episodic, yes. and you're not even sure if you had an exposure before it didn't have any positive um, result in a test. Yeah, it's so, challenging. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell us uh, more about your experience with COVID and how did you start to recognize that you may have like those symptoms that point to long COVID? Yeah, so in the beginning, so again, like I got sick right as the pandemic was picking up, right? Like literally the, the Monday of the week that everything was closing down here mm-hmm. in New York City and New Jersey. Um, acutely, I had um, a lot of body aches and like nerve pain, which is for me is a typical sign. I'm just getting sick in general, <laughs> but kind of getting into the end of the week, like my chest was burning. I was getting shortness of breath. Mm-hmm. I was trying to still jog. I run trying to jog and walk and things. And it just, I was, it just wasn't feeling right. <laughs> I mm-hmm. knew like I, this wasn't normal. And what got interesting was on, so Mondays when I really started to feel sick that Sunday, I was like, oh. I think I'm over it. The body aches are gone and all of that. I'm like, all right. So I'm I'm past the scary part. And then everything just got so much worse. So from there, it's kind of tricky because there were things at the time I didn't realize were symptoms. Like I knew Mm -hmm. obviously like the breathing difficulties and chest pain were symptoms because everyone was talking about it, but I was having a lot of cognitive impairments. My job was new and everything just moved virtual. So on top of a new job, now I'm having to learn how to do all this computer work I typically wouldn't do. And I was, it was, I was struggling to learn, but I just thought I wasn't doing well on a computer. I'm used to being Mm -hmm. face to face with people. And there were times I was getting really fatigued. Like we were out, me and my husband are walking our dogs and I could have fallen asleep on the sidewalk right there. (laughs) Yeah. That was a little scary. So stuff like that was happening. I go for a walk and I was like recovering, like as though I just did a hard run. Mm-hmm. And I, but I just kept trying to push exercise because, you know, that's what we do. And that's what right. I've always done. Right. Um, and just not like kind of being in denial of how poorly I was um, responding to exercise. Mm-hmm. I would go out and try to run and I would have sworn it was like 90, 95 degrees. And it was like 70 something degrees. Mm-hmm. And I was just struggling so badly. So in this is at like June is when I started to hear like long hauler, but I didn't mm-hmm. know anybody with it. Um, mm-hmm. But people send me news articles. And then it's at the end of July where some PTs from the myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome had seen my tweets and reached out to me and really helped me. So they're DMing me all this amazing information. And I knew nothing about these post viral illnesses. And it was just kind of like overwhelming and took me a little while to like grasp what was going on. And even mm-hmm. now I'm still realizing, oh, I still had no idea what was going on months ago. Mm-hmm. So when they reached out, that's when I kind of started to learn about the post-exertional symptom exacerbation and maybe I shouldn't be pushing so much. Uh-huh. But after that, I, um, it, I watched a documentary called unrest. That's about chronic fatigue. And that was sort of that, like, Oh, <laughs> like hitting home. Like maybe this is really serious. So I thought I have this in a Facebook post. I thought I could take two weeks off from running and I would be fine. Mm-hmm. And that was last August <laughs> and I'm still not back to running. Yeah, so like, like since then, it's been like a whole roller coaster. There's points where I think I'm getting better because mm-hmm. my breathing feels better or my chest pain went away or my brain is less foggy and then other symptoms get worse and then those symptoms come back and then I'm more fatigued and I'll crashes or what I call when I'm just that the post-exertion symptom exacerbation where I just cannot get up. I could go weeks without crashes and all of a sudden one happens again. Mm-hmm. It's really unpredictable. Right now, I think I have a handle on it. But it changes. Yeah. Oh, and this is pretty goodness. standard for people. While our symptoms do vary, like there's symptoms, like I never get a fever. Other people uh-huh. have fevers. I've never had a fever. While those kind of symptoms will vary, the general theme of what I'm saying that like the symptoms kind of come up and down mm-hmm. that we don't always see the patterns on why they're getting worse. Uh-huh. Sometimes I can tell you like, oh, I did too much this week. That's why I mm-hmm. feel like garbage right now. But other times I, I honestly don't know. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's ah. a, one of somebody in Lanco Vizio calls it the Corona Coaster. Uh-huh. It's pretty accurate. The more that you describe it, the more that's taking all of the symptoms that I was experiencing the fatigue, the middle of the night, uh, middle of the day, I would just probably crash while typing my notes. And just walking oh, up. Tight the, notes are hard. Yeah, <laughs> like facing the computer and I'm like, uh, what, what? <laughs> yeah, that's actually like PZ specific has been for me because I used to be able to just sit in notes all at once, no problem. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And my caseload is much smaller than what it used to be, just by nature. It's just a different job, and it is so hard for me to do notes to try to do them between patients, patients. And, <laughs> Or just to save them the night. Let me do them. It is so, so right. Something that you so can do normally, right? Adapt. Yeah. 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 Or um, another PT with long COVID, Tenda Shane, was saying um, in an interview, he's an inpatient in the summers, and he used to see a patient do a note, see a patient do a note, and he can't anymore. He can't keep flipping his brain like that. So he has to stay on the patient care, and then save the notes for the end of the night. Oh, wow. which hearing that was really helpful to me because I said, I'm uh-huh. dealing with that exact same thing. And I hadn't heard another PT uh-huh. say that before. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. That is really helpful. No, hearing something from that, from other physical therapists. Because yeah. there was one day I was, I was trying to think that it, would there be a test that would tell you that you had COVID even after you, you had a vaccine, but I don't think there's a test like that. Right. No. <laughs> right. Mm-mm. And even now, many of us have had negative antibody tests. Mm-hmm. So you can't even rely on that. It's like, oh, well, you had an infection at some point. And there's a theory why maybe we don't know uh-huh. why some of us might have long COVID is maybe we didn't produce enough antibodies early on and we didn't, you know, fully fight the virus. We're not sure. But mm-hmm. like I had a negative antibody test two months after I got sick. Uh-huh. So we can't uh-huh. even rely on that. Right. So uh, is there, well, there's still some, you know, talk about the definition and what long COVID is, but is there already a recommended treatment or management for people who are experiencing those symptoms? It really varies. varies. So part of it, yeah, part of it outside of like our PT scope mm-hmm. is there are medical things that have to be attended to. Like some, many people, unfortunately, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but will have normal blood work, normal imaging, like standard things. But there are some people that were showing things that that, that stuff has to be addressed. Um, uh-huh. But a typical treatment, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the bigger things, again, not for everybody, are anomic dysfunction, which is where some diaphragmatic breathing is really helpful. Mm-hmm. And monitoring people's heart rates to see how they're doing from like supine to sitting to standing, because we'll see some really funky, big spikes in heart rate and changes in blood pressure, bigger than what you would expect to see with positional changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's trying to get the symptoms under control. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, if people are experiencing the fatigue, is teaching them how to stop, rest and pace. So rather than pushing through and just trying to do your normal pre long COVID life is finding how do we save our energy? Mm-hmm. One of the, something that's really interesting that we've learned from other communities with chronic illnesses is a spoon theory. So that's yeah. where say you have spoons represent energy and say okay. you have like 10 spoons for today and this is your energy is these 10 spoons. How are you going to use it? Are you going to go out on a run and there are all your 10 are gone and now you're stuck the rest of the day or how can you kind of spread it out that here's if I look at this as there are things that we definitely have to do. Like there's certain mm-hmm. like family responsibilities, house chores, whatever you have to do going to work. So that requires spoons. There's some things that would be good, like maybe things that like make us feel good that are nice, mm-hmm. but you know, we might not, they're not a priority, like, okay. And then things that we shouldn't do because we know they're going to make us worse. So you really have to like consciously pick where you're using that energy or those spoons. So as PTs, we can help patients with that uh-huh. and go through their days and find where are their opportunities to rest. How can we possibly like help you adapt to or modify your work or the things you have to do at home. So that's really big. If people are experiencing that fatigue, which is the most commonly reported symptom right now. Mm -hmm. But in the other, the big thing too, um, that we've been really stressing is it's not the typical graded exercise that we would do with patients, whether I should say almost any other condition, um, trying to push graded exercise and do a little bit more each time actually can make us worse. So you have to be 
Yes, and we know this from the chronic fatigue community because so created exercise isn't pushed. You have to monitor the patient's response to exercise. There are some people that will do okay. They don't have uh -huh. the post-exertional symptom exacerbation and monitor, but there are so many of us that it's worse. And when people have, unfortunately, whether it's like me that I just did on my own or they're seeing um, the therapist and they're trying to push, well, you did this today, so we're gonna do a little bit more tomorrow and the next day, mm -hmm. and they're crashing. They're coming mm -hmm. back and saying, I feel worse than I did before. Mm -hmm. That's when we have to listen and say, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. And I've had to, I've seen one patient with it, an outpatient, um, and then a few of the construction workers I've talked to who have it. And that's where you kind of have to explain like your fitness level and your conditioning have to sort of sometimes take a back seat to getting the symptoms under control. Cause we all worry uh -huh. about being deconditioned and losing our strength and being right. sedentary. But if the symptoms are all over the place and not managed well, it doesn't matter. So that kind of takes the priority is trying to manage your energy, use it where you need it, not use it on things that could potentially harm you. Uh -huh. And once they get under control, possibly being able to like start moving into some like light supine exercise. I see. Okay. Because as physical therapists, like what you said, we try to push people or ourselves when we feel like this might be, you know, movement is uh the key to everything or yeah. movement is uh, medicine, things like that. Mm -hmm. So we, we usually say, oh, okay, you just have to increase your physical activity. You just have to do better to tomorrow than the next day. Okay. Not with this. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's really teaching patients and, and helping them to feel that it's okay to be honest with us as therapists uh -huh. to say, no, I, what we did last time, I mm -hmm. felt worse when I got home and that mm -hmm. they understand how to recognize the symptoms. Like I would miss, this is last fall. I can remember being in the clinic at the end of like long days and just kind of sitting like, like just feeling like winded. And I was also, you know, in an N95 at that point. And I was like, oh, that's post-exertional symptom exacerbation. But I didn't know that then. I was just thinking it was the big crashes. I was missing like mm -hmm. smaller things were flaring up. So then it was, I had to look back and say, how can I modify it? So I sit down whenever mm -hmm. I can now to try to decrease how much energy I'm using. And those things I brush off as being deconditioned. I mean, <laughs> yes, yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. Uh -huh. And one thing we know though, from the chronic fatigue community and the research on them is they, the response to exercise, it's not like DOMS or, you know, I'm just like a little tired. It is uh -huh. not sometimes not functioning in response uh -huh. to exercise. It's a really big difference from what you'll see. And that's the thing. Right. If, if you're seeing like, this isn't what I thought would happen. <laughs> it's looking back and saying why. And sometimes you can, you know, monitor their heart rate and their blood pressure in real time. If they have a wearable, like a uh -huh. Garmin or a Fitbit, Apple Watch, whatever, look at that data too. Cause uh -huh. you might see after your session, their heart rate was staying up. Maybe their sleep mm -hmm. quality was really poor. They slept a lot, but they weren't recovering from the day before. That was, those are kind of some clues to that. Maybe the graded exercise isn't the right approach. I we did think about that. Uh, uh, sorry, you were saying? No, 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 go. No, no, go. Uh, I did think about the wearables because I, I, I remember when I was in a cardiac rehab in an internship, they had this um, strap uh, on mm -hmm. up. Polar device that really accurately measures their um, mm -hmm. heart rate and stuff. So I was thinking of buying that because I was really I, I didn't know what I was experiencing back then. I was I get tired easy, palpitations. I felt that too. Going up just two flights of stairs got really <laughs> uh, like I was really exhausted after that. I was like, this is not usually what I uh, what I experience. But what 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 is this? So I was like, I was thinking. Maybe I, I'm just too sedentary or too uh, deconditioned, but I've been doing this for a long time, but why is it like this right now? Right. And that's the stuff we see where it's something, say like stairs are a good example, uh -huh. when it's like a fairly abrupt or drastic change. <laughs> you know, I went from one week, I had no problems to that first week when I was sick and then continue after that walking up a flight of stairs especially if I was talking like on the phone uh -huh. completely wiped me out and I would be so winded I'm like well that's uh -huh. I'm not deconditioned in one week that's not gonna uh -huh. happen <laughs> right yeah. and you're the very active <laughs> yeah yeah previous to super super active but the wearables have been great so like at my job at proactivity we had um they've before I was even there using Garmin's um we have a whole dashboard that's online called scissors where in addition to the data we see as clients on the app there's even more, there's an amazing dashboard that's online. So they were using it to monitor their like strength and conditioning clients. But mm -hmm. now we, are, we have a whole program where we can monitor people. You can have a coach who's looking at your data 
and kind of pick up on stuff and say, hey, things look a little weird. And sometimes someone can be like, oh yeah, I just didn't wear to sleep last night. Or, oh yeah, you know, I went out last night. I was, I was having a good time. That's why stuff's weird. Or like picking up on maybe seeing somebody's getting sick before they know it. Mm-hmm. Or seeing like in the cases of long COVID, like people aren't recovering well. You could see some weird trends in their heart rate. So it's really, really interesting. And I'm learning mm-hmm. how to use it more in also real time. Because mm-hmm. people will see me, like I look and I see, I like go up the stairs, check my heart rate because I uh, see a big spike. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it doesn't always, the garment doesn't always pick up those quick little changes. Mm-hmm. So it's also teaching patients if they have a wearable, because so many people do like how to use it and how to look at the data in their app, the trends, but how to also use it in real time to make decisions on like what you should be doing. Because if I see my heart rate's going up, if I'm walking up a flight of stairs, if I can, I will sit down when I get up that flight of stairs. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, with the <laughs> with the stop, rest, and pace, is there are, are are we trying to manage the symptoms and not be rehabilitated for now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and that's what's tricky. There are patients with long COVID who, again, will do well with like a, a typical kind of exercise. Mm-hmm progression but mm-hmm. for the people that are getting those crashes yes getting the symptoms under control as best as we can mm-hmm. is the most important thing and i think a lot of us right now are finding i'm in this boat am i actually recovering like physiologically getting better from long covid or am i just right. managing my symptoms better now right i don't know uh-huh. but that's the biggest thing yeah because it affects even the, the most basic ways to function. So we could help people be able to better manage their days, be able mm-hmm. to go to work. One something that I find interesting right now, because we're hearing about like the worker shortage and there's mm-hmm. so many things that are being affected because employers can't find workers. And there's many reasons why, but one of them I think is there's so many people disabled with long COVID mm-hmm. that they're not able to return to their jobs. Like I was just reading and hearing about with restaurants. I'm like, I would never be able to work in a restaurant and that, that busy, fast pace mm-hmm. and things are changing so fast. Mm-hmm. That that could be a reason. So if we're able to help people better manage symptoms, so they could better get back to work and make a living. That's so important. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a big shift from, I think, how we're used to working with people. Right. And this is where OTs come in handy. This is where OTs are amazing to work with. This is the stuff, you know, they've already been doing. Mm-hmm. Energy conser- conservation techniques. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like adapting your environment. Right. On a more severe end of this with chronic fatigue. I just saw this recently. Um, there's a guy on Twitter who was a professional dancer, beautiful dancer. He posted videos and he has, he's had chronic fatigue and it's pretty severe. So somebody had built him basically like a bed. It's big in his kitchen. So he's able to lie down when he needs to prepare food. Oh, okay. And it's separate. This is not his bed. He's sleeping. He's not like sleeping in the kitchen, but because that's what you, it, things can take so much like energy that we would never think of. You're like, well, you uh-huh. still need to cook. And I don't know his whole living situation, but so how do we do that? Uh-huh. Adapt the kitchen. <laughs> There's a lot of things like that. Like I have um, a stool for when I shower sometimes to uh-huh. sit because I saw that was making my heart rate go up really high. And that's like the first thing I'm typically doing in the morning. Mm-hmm. So again, pulling from the OTs with things like that, like how can we help people conserve energy? How can we help to adapt their environment? And we're in our society typically is not a fan of resting and pacing. We're like this very go, go, go. The more mm-hmm. you do, the better. Mm-hmm. So it's tr- trying to find ways. All right, well, here's where we're at. And like, how can we sort of help to adapt the environment so people mm-hmm. can still go about their lives? That's, I think that's, that would also, there would also be a problem with that because not many um, occupations can be adapted or environment can be adapted. Um, not many uh, environment are flexible enough to, you know, for add any other stuff to adapt where your activity or adapt what your positions are so there's a lot of challenges there yeah and that's something that's been interesting for me to learn from the uk Mm -hmm. because long covid physio has a lot of pts who are in the uk Mm -hmm. and other allied health professionals too and not that anybody has like a perfect system right now Mm -hmm. but because they many of the people are working through the nhs uh-huh. And um, they have their charter society of, of physiotherapists and occupational health, helping them doing like graded sort of returns to work. Mm. Um, so maybe I'm just making this up, but maybe they're doing two hours, two days a week. And that's where they're starting this like phased return and then mm. seeing how they respond. And maybe they can add a little bit and say, oh, maybe three hours a day is too much. And you have to go back. Mm-hmm. Some people, are, PTs and OTs, you know, are in settings where um, 
if maybe they're not feeling great, somebody can, you know, finish up their caseload for them. But that's yeah. obviously not the situation for all of us. So some people are in those settings that can, to a degree, uh-huh. kind of at least help on that end of it. But not everybody. That's just not, you know, like when I was listening to people on the radio talking about restaurant workers, I'm like, there really isn't a way to modify. If you're in a busy restaurant, you got to go. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's been, a, I think, a very, very mm-hmm. big challenge. And one of my concerns with what's being missed with this is so everybody I think knows early on from the beginning of the pandemic, we were hearing that um, minority groups are being most affected by COVID acutely, more severely ill, unfortunately dying more often. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing with long COVID, it tends to be more people who are white. And my suspicion, because it is weird, is that people who say are maybe of a lower socioeconomic status, don't have a lot of resources, aren't able to stay home and rest and be um, counted as having long COVID because they have to keep working. Yeah, so I think that's through. I think that's a yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a big factor too, because that's a weird thing. I'm like, why is it two completely different groups from acute COVID to long COVID? And I think that's it. Not everyone mm-hmm. is in a situation where I, they can say, yeah, I can't stop rest and pace. I have a family. I have a job that doesn't accommodate anything. Mm-hmm. That's a that's an interesting insight there. Um, so for uh, people or physical therapists who would encounter patients that may or may not have COVID, how can they assess or, you know, mm-hmm. um, at least have an idea probably that this may be a long COVID? Is there already, uh, you know, do we have uh, an agreement on what are the things that we should look into in our evaluation and assessments with certain patients that we see? There's not necessarily like a set thing, but there are like mm-hmm. a couple important things. Mm-hmm watch their heart rate, mm-hmm. <laughs> monitor their heart rate, not only when they just come in and sitting and you get their vitals, but with positional right. changes, with exertion and exertion can be just receiving a history, just mm-hmm. them, the cognitive demand of talking mm-hmm. and having to recall things and recall traumatic things. Um, keep that pulse locked on, watch their heart rate, see how mm-hmm. that's changing. Oh, um, okay. We have the DePaul questionnaire, which is from chronic fatigue syndrome, which is looking at symptom severity there's a lot of questions that there's two different ones that are available in it Mm -hmm. so that's really helpful but i will add on like the patient end of it every time i look at it i just go so many words (laughs) so it might be i like to point out it might be us maybe reading it to them or only doing Mm -hmm. part of it because you're you're grading you know circling how severe your symptoms and all that but that the cognitive demand could be a lot that's a big thing it's not only physical there's cognitive and emotional Mm -hmm. demand but that's an option it's a way to sort of try to quantify um the symptoms that they're experiencing for world physiotherapy, um, on the World PT Day Toolkit, they have an activity tracker, mm-hmm. which is really great. And there's ways for patients to fill in where their energy level was at. And so it's just like these little like, kind of check boxes. And on the second page, you can actually like make notes of what was going on. Mm-hmm. But again, I like to point out with that, that filling out a full day every single day might be a lot. So maybe uh, it's kind of picking and choosing points. Because the other thing, too, like the things we might typically do, as PTs, like a one minute sit to stand test or like a six minute walk or a bird bounce or whatever, maybe way too physically demanding. The person mm-hmm. might be able to do it in time, mm-hmm. but that might cause a crash later on. Nice. So you kind of have to look at, yeah, it would be good to do these tests that you know we mm-hmm. do all the time, but is it going to harm the patient? And how much mm-hmm. more am I gaining from it? If mm-hmm. I know how many times they can sit or stand in a minute, does that matter right now? It might, you know, you could say they do this many now, maybe they do this many a couple months later, mm-hmm. but you have to weigh out if they're already describing that they're experiencing those crashes. Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't, don't want to push those, like those harder, harder, a one minute sit to stand physical assessment. Cause that's mm-hmm. happened to, to some of the PTs that have gone to the clinics. They've done these types of assessments and they're just completely drained afterwards. Uh, okay. Yeah. So there isn't, yeah, there isn't. And it's hard because for anybody dealing with insurance, they want outcome assessments, they want numbers on things. <laughs> right, right. And it's and it we might not safely be able to do those assessments that we always do. Mm-hmm. So it's really recording like the signs and symptoms you're getting, mm-hmm. monitor their oxygen. You have to look to if they're desaturating more than 3%, that's a good indicator to also probably pull back and maybe not mm-hmm. push exercise. Um, but monitor their response to activity. Even if you're looking at their heart rate, just at the start of your initial assessment and at the end and see if there's any changes with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've even, this isn't like, this is just something I thought of, but with the one patient that I saw, it was a lot for her. I, I didn't even have her try to fill out the DePaul. It would have been way too much for her. But I said, just, if you can just, at the end of the day, give your day a number where zero would be 
awful. Like literally couldn't get out of bed, couldn't do anything. Or tell me, this is great. I feel back to my old self. Just overall, give it a number mm-hmm. just to give me an idea of like where you're at. And that's something that, you know, should for the most part, maybe not mm-hmm. everybody be reasonable. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, as, and you mentioned earlier as well to make sure to rule out other uh, yes. yeah, first. Mm-hmm. This I, I like to stress because there have been cases I've seen in social media where, because I'm in a few different long COVID groups, um, mm-hmm. where somebody, they may or may not have COVID and long COVID, mm-hmm. but they assume the symptoms were long COVID and then finding out it was cancer or you know, something else that, that yeah, is serious mm-hmm. and possibly treatable too. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. important to make sure that we're not just assuming, right. even mm-hmm. if you're like, it's chest pain and they're desaturating. It's probably long COVID. Mm-hmm. Being sure they are getting seeing whatever the specialists are mm-hmm. and not feeling like whatever our specialty or setting is that we don't need to have all the answers. We know mm-hmm. whatever our our area is, mm-hmm. but being open to like refer them out, whether it's to physicians, to OTs, to speech. Speech is really important. Some people get voice hoarseness. Um, that's that can be an acute symptom. Or that could be like, I get that because I don't have enough power coming from my diaphragm still. And we all like Mm -hmm. hyperventilate. Mm -hmm. So it's stuff like that, knowing who your other resources are in your area to help too, and to rule out other things. Mm -hmm. Wow. You mentioned another symptom that I was like, like, click again. Like, where's this really? (laughs) Yes. Oh my goodness. That's Uh. a big one. Yeah. Early on. I mean, acutely that, you know, (laughs) I see how that could happen. But yeah, Uh a lot of us have had that because we so many people hyperventilate um, mm-hmm. and not even realize that's been going on for months but tying in with that it's we're obviously not using our muscles properly and straining to try to talk right. especially if you're straining with a patient trying to get through a mask mm-hmm. and we all we have all had older that patients that we yeah. really have to use our voices <laughs> and over and over a long day that you know that takes a toll and you could start to get some straining of your vocal cords so that's uh-huh. where it's great to work with a speech therapist or a vocal coach to help mm-hmm. yeah i've I think I've seen a, a podcast uh, from long COVID physio mm-hmm. talking to voice coaches. I, I forgot yes. their names, but it was really yeah. interesting. I, I, I saw that. Oh, was, oh really? Breathing and, and voice was amazing. I, I forgot their names, but it was really interesting. Yeah. I could, I would post the, um, I can attach the link there so people can. Oh, that'd uh, be great. Yeah. So talking about long COVID. Episode. Yeah, it was very, <laughs> that was a real oh, surprise. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll add with that too, because that's it's really interesting because the vocal community with vocal coaches and singers have also stepped in mm-hmm. and saying they have this training. They they're not, they might not be healthcare professionals, but mm-hmm. they have learned how to breathe and use their voices. So mm-hmm. they've been stepping in to help. So there are some neat programs you could find online. And yeah, I can't remember top mm-hmm. of my head, but Long COVID Visit, we have our own podcast. So they right. were yes. Mm-hmm. And just want, and this is great because they talk through learning as they go and things mm-hmm. that they thought they knew from working with people just typically mm-hmm. um, are different now with long COVID. And so when, if anybody comes across like locally or virtually um, any vocal singing, whatever classes for long COVID, it'd be great. But again, you have to monitor for those crashes and fatigue because something really simple, like basic vocal exercises to warm up for singing mm-hmm. might be too difficult wow. or they might be too straining on their vocal cords. But then this is also where there's, PTs who obviously specialize in breathing and all of that. There are mm-hmm. um, speech therapists who are great too. It's so just being in the, the voice alone is so complex mm-hmm. at long COVID. Right, right. So talking about long COVID physio, how how did it how did it start? Uh, you mentioned earlier before we started that you you met with um, what's his name uh, with Darren Brown. Darren Brown, yes, in, in Twitter. Yeah. So, is that where all of it started, and, and how did it really went from a Twitter community to a a organization that increases awareness of local COVID? Yeah, oh, this happened so fast too. It, so, Darren and I had found each other on Twitter. I feel like I'd seen some. This is November. I feel like I'd seen something written a little earlier because mm-hmm. he was posting his lived experience that I had been sharing, just kind of not. I was going through mm-hmm. so we were talking and like in tweets publicly we're saying like we should have something like mm-hmm. i think i feel like we should be capturing this for our profession as mm-hmm. we're going through it and then he came up with the hat physio physio being in the uk mm-hmm. and from there we started to find a couple other people so we had quickly started a little dm group but we outgrew it. I, I don't know what the capacity is, but we outgrew it very, very, very quickly. So that was still like December. So by January, we already had like our Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And so on Facebook, it's a peer support group. So mm-hmm. PTs, PTAs, OTs, anybody in allied health, um, 
who has long COVID, specifically that has long COVID, um, really careful about that. So it's a safe space. Mm-hmm. And then, so from there, we started. I think the first thing we did was um, a two-part blog for the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports PT about our lived experience, mm-hmm. and then um, why pushing exercise is not the answer. And it, it has just snowballed from there. So we have a podcast. I already mentioned mm-hmm. it's a combination of us telling our lived experiences, and then having on experts within you know their areas. We have a blog that's up. Um, we had started doing, I forget how often monthly, maybe little zoom calls and, you know, whoever wanted to join to talk, um, and projects have just, you know, taken off. And then a couple months ago, we have our newly elected executive board as we're becoming more formalized as an organization. Right. And our executive board includes, you know, all of us who have long COVID and our allies. So our allies are the people who don't have it, but mm-hmm. they are helping and they're doing the work. So maybe it's people who, we're already doing clinical work and or research in chronic fatigue, or mm-hmm. we're already um, respiratory PTs or anything mm-hmm. like that. And they've demonstrated like a really big commitment to helping to uh, helping us with the education and advocacy. So they're on executive board too. Mm-hmm. And what's really neat with the executive board is we have multiple people in all of the positions, knowing that those of us with long COVID don't always have the capacity to do everything. <laughs> um, so this way you don't have to feel that your role falls just on you, uh-huh. that you know we have multiple people to help and split work up, which is really great. So now we have our the executive board. We have our own Slack group to be able to to organize everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's great. And even within that, you know, Darren was the lead and a few of us, not me, but a few of us were authors on the the briefing paper with World Physiotherapy, which is mm-hmm. on safe rehabilitation for long COVID, which is so incredibly important. We have other publications that are coming out. We go on podcasts a lot. So in addition to the peer support, we do a lot of education and advocacy work. Right, right. And and for those who are listening or are interested in knowing more about long COVID physio, go to the, the go to their website, longcovid.physio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice and easy. Yeah. And I was like, this is good for your audience too. If anybody listening is a PT or other allied healthcare professional with long COVID, you're welcome to join our Facebook group, mm-hmm. Long COVID Physio. You just have to answer a couple of questions confirming that you have long COVID because mm-hmm. it is great to have that peer support. Um mm-hmm. And it's the twofold that one where, you know, patients going through it. So you can talk to other people who understand all the really weird, crazy symptoms. Mm-hmm. And then as clinicians, we have that health literacy where sometimes in some of the other groups, it's difficult because of people who don't have a health background and they're trying all these things and it's not safe and it's messy. Mm-hmm. And, but we, you know, we, at least we all kind of have that same level and we all work in rehabilitation. To me, mm-hmm. that's the crazy part. Like right. <laughs> we are the real rehabilitation experts in uh-huh. this condition that needs uh-huh. rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. So that's where the group is really helpful too. So, mm-hmm. the, you know, journal articles and things get posted also. Right. And, and like people, I said, it's a safe space. Right. And some people who don't understand would, tend to invalidate what you're experiencing (laughs) that's the hard I think that's a hard part there that's been really frustrating Mm. um from so many different areas in healthcare and just the mainstream media Mm. saying that it's not real there's Mm. actually just I won't say where but a a piece an article that just came out in a pretty big not not a scientific but a pretty big publication Mm -hmm. and the tone was like sort of mocking long COVID that this isn't real really frustrating this this is not the first time that's happened Mm -hmm. so there are some great journalists like ed young is a great one um who has published some amazing pieces on long COVID that's been so helpful which is really important because as patients even when we're clinicians we can say everything we're going through say hey we're literally this is the space we typically work in for our jobs but there will still be people saying nope you're crazy it's in your head so as we get more support from like outside people whether they're journalists or clinicians or researchers, it's so important because, and this I've learned a lot from the chronic illness community because my Twitter, usually I was just following PTs and athletic trainers and people in sports science. And now there's a whole aspect of like chronic illness Twitter I didn't know existed (laughs) and learning all the gaslighting that goes on and people just being told your CBC is normal. So you're fine. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, no, I'm not fine. Here are all these symptoms. I'm telling you, this is wrong and just not being heard. Mm -hmm. Um, or being put through treatments, like I was saying before, graded exercise or cognitive behavioral therapy is another one that that's not getting to the underlying root of the problem. Mm-hmm. So it's so important for all of us. That's why we keep speaking up and using our voices and thankfully have like allies who are helping too, to mm-hmm. try to, you know, to, I don't know, overcome or try to help with all the <laughs> invalidating that unfortunately goes on. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I guess it's somewhat um, understandable because everything's new, but I mean, since everyone, a lot of people are already saying that it's, you know, 
a lived experience, why, you know, why negate it? Why invalidate it and not just like study it and learn more about it, right? So what I'm learning <laughs> with that, um, yeah. and again, this is a lot coming from the chronic fatigue community, mm-hmm. is as healthcare professionals, sometimes when we're faced with something that we don't know, or like, mm-hmm. oh, that's not what I thought was going to happen. We're like, the patient's the problem. It's not us not knowing. It's the patient that's the problem. That's the way things get viewed, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Or there's so many stories of patients going to multiple, multiple doctors looking for help, and everyone's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And they just dismiss them mm-hmm. because that's that's the easier thing to do mm-hmm. than to like kind of admit you don't know what's going on. It doesn't mean you're bad at your job. You just mm-hmm. you know don't know, and right. that we have to do more work and we have to do more research. And that yeah. happens unfortunately all the time. Mm-hmm. I think a really interesting example I just learned about recently was with multiple sclerosis. It was called hysterical paralysis. Oh, really? Before they had imaging to show the central nervous system lesions. They were mm-hmm. just saying it's in your head. And now we know, like you can clearly see MS on imaging. Right. Um, but before that existed, they were dismissing patients. And so mm. this long COVID, chronic fatigue, post-viral illnesses in general, it's no different, unfortunately. But mm. now I think why we're getting more attention is there's so much of us all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Post-viral illness is not new. People have experienced similar things from mono and the flu and CMV. But now there's just such a huge volume of us all at the same time saying the same thing that people are finally taking more notice. Not that they were noticing before, but it's much more than what we've seen previously. Mm-hmm. And it's even harder to dismiss because you're you're in the healthcare and you know what you're experiencing and it's not in your head. Right. Although I will <laughs> say we've ha- we have dealt with um, other people within our profession or other healthcare professions who tried to psychologize it away. Sorry. And they, which I mean, we do know, obviously, having a positive disposition and things like that are beneficial, mm-hmm. but that's not going to solve this. <laughs> right. so we have to, you know, we keep explaining it's not psychogenic. There can mm-hmm. be a psych component to it. People, mm-hmm. obviously, if you're, if your life drastically changes and you can't do the things you used to do, it would not be uncommon to have anxiety mm-hmm. or depression or anything else. But that's not the root cause. Mm-hmm. It's the, the virus is causing symptoms that are then leading to some psychological things for some people. Right. So wow, um, I I've learned a lot, and I have some realizations as well. I might want to research on myself as well and test out uh, a wear, uh, get some wearable heart rate monitors, and, and see what's going on with me. But thank you for what the for for the work that you do in in long COVID physio uh, and in increasing the awareness for for people. Uh, who might be experiencing some, you know, uh, persistent uh, symptoms from COVID. And um, thank you for being in the show, <laughs> in, the, the, in this oh, podcast. I have well. to thank you. <laughs> the, it's, I appreciate it so much being here because, you know, the more we can get information out, mm-hmm. the more we can educate our colleagues and just make people mm-hmm. aware. Because even if a PT isn't treating someone for long COVID, it's so important to be able to recognize it because you might be seeing a patient for something else and they just happen to say in passing or say you give them their exercise program for the orthopedic condition and then, you know, they're crashed from it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that just that you have like the little moment you're like, oh, this sounds like something else I heard about before that you at least can recognize it and then know mm-hmm. what to refer them. Because mm-hmm. we as PTs, we might be the first person to pick up on this. The person might not realize they have long COVID or they might have been dismissed by, you know, whoever else they had seen previously. Right. So the more information we can get out, the better. So thank you so much for having this mm-hmm. episode. And I, I like your the what you shared about stop, rest, and pace. Because when I was spreading out the news about long COVID and rehabilitation from World PT Day, that those banners and stuff, I now rec- now realize that there wasn't you know that part that exercise is exercising is or can be detrimental for them. So that's, that's a, that's a new realization for me. So it, it's better for them to pace themselves, um, relax and, and just manage uh, that, that symptoms. Post-exertional. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and us Amazing. being open to, as we've said, like it's not necessarily deconditioning. There's plenty mm-hmm. of stories in the news of professional athletes, division one athletes, Olympians, things like that who are really struggling with this. Mm -hmm. So sometimes unfortunately it's easy to dismiss like an everyday normal person. Mm -hmm. But like, are you really going to say that to the Olympian? (laughs) Yeah. So there's plenty of story, you know, examples like that where like maybe exercise is not for everybody right now. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Gotcha. All right. So again, thank you for being the show. Before I let you go, I usually close my question, uh, my my interview with three last bites. My my three last questions for you. My not it. It's not about long COVID, but <laughs> so uh, my first um, question is, um, well, the questions are since my my podcast is about PT meal, so it's about food. So <laughs> so the first one is, if you're a dish, what type of dish would you be? Ooh, that's really a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm gonna go. Oh, I wouldn't have thought of this. Cur- a curry dish. Curry. Mm-hmm. Because there's Why that curry? like little. There's that little kick to it. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's that little bit of spice. Uh-huh. Which, um, if anybody follows me on Twitter, I am a little outspoken, a lot mm-hmm. outspoken on some certain things. <laughs> <laughs> so I think curry, while it's nice and healthy and vegetables and things, there's like that little bit of kick in it too. All right. Nice. So my second one is what's your um, recipe for success? Oh, oh, this is so different now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Than if you had asked me this two years ago. (laughs) Okay. So different. (laughs) To pace yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I think as PTs, we're like super type A and it's just trying to do everything all at once and take everything in and take all the courses, go to conference, go to all the lectures and everything. Right. And that's not that you will burn out or get long COVID. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's on, it's learning how to kind of pace yourself and mm-hmm. obviously have goals and know what you're going towards, but not feel like it has to be this hundred percent all in kind of thing that you're looking at like that long-term, the long game and like, all right, I need, I'm here, but I need to get all the way down here and doing everything all at once. And, you know, burning the candle at both ends is not going to work. So like learning how to pace things out because we mm-hmm. have time, you know, you don't have to do everything all at once. Right. <laughs> yeah. Even if you don't have long COVID and, and uh, it's a good advice. Yeah. Cause especially nowadays, there's a lot of things going on around us and it, it, there's, there's no sense of, you know, as you said, burning the, the, the light too fast, you know, take yeah. your time. <laughs> I am the cautionary tale because I lived very differently before long COVID. Uh-huh. You're <laughs> so, very fast so paced. <laughs> yes, yeah. So giving yourself some breaks and pacing is is very important to be able to sustain whatever it is that you're doing. Gotcha, gotcha. Pace yourself. All right. My third, my my last question is um, what are the three ingredients? It can be your motto, principle, value, or uh, something that you live by. Three ingredients that Make up Daria. Oh, <laughs> stubborn stubbornness. Stubbornness. <laughs> I I openly admit this, mm-hmm. and until long COVID, like it got me to where I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am learning still how to kind of you know <laughs> not be as stubborn and be open to things. And it, I know that can be stubbornness can be viewed as a, a kind of negative thing, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's like I kind of stand my ground on certain things. Like, mm-hmm. no, this is important. This is definitely what I want to do. This is going to sound really silly, but rainbows. Rainbows. Yeah. This is um, one of my friends jokes that rainbows are my aesthetic because I'm um, LGBTQ rights are like super important to me. So rainbows. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I found there's a quick little story. My I have a really negative neighbor who doesn't like anybody. He's very hateful. So I took my my what you know, a really passionate thing for me, LGBTQ rights. And I cover my lawn in rainbows with, with flowers and some like nice decorations and stuff. So it was a way for me to sort of have a message without just like throwing it, like without mm-hmm. having to preach to you. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing I've learned to do is like, I have rainbows and they make me happy. <laughs> uh-huh. so that is a really big thing that people who know me, like I, there's rainbows like all, all around my right now. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I have to think the stubbornness and the rainbows. And the biggest thing, this is kind of interesting with long COVID now. But honestly, movement, where I movement. have been a dancer since I was three years old. And even mm. though I'm limited on dancing right now, I'm still dancing around my house. I'm always mm. like always doing stuff and always choreographing in my head and coming up with things. And that is that allows me to process stuff that allows me to think that allows me to like to come up with better ideas usually. Mm-hmm. So even now, while like my movement is sort of limited and I have to restrict it, that is still like so, so incredibly important to me. Mm-hmm. There you go. There's yeah. three things. Three things. Stubbornness, rainbows, and movement. Three things that make up Daria. All right. Again, thank you very much, Daria, for being in the show and sharing uh, your experiences with us, being candid on how how you you know got your COVID and, and discovering what you know long COVID symptoms is. Two, 
the long COVID physio and sharing and building up the awareness of the symptoms and, and helping others uh, about you know managing it. So as a takeaway or or our the goal boxes for them to bring them at, at home. So what uh, what is one thing that you want to take away? What the what do you want the audience to take away from this podcast? Yes, listen to your patients. <laughs> Even if you're like, I don't know what's going on. Maybe mm-hmm. it's long COVID. Maybe it's something <laughs> totally unrelated. But just to listen to them, as I said, like invalidate them. That regardless of what they're telling you, mm-hmm. how crazy or man not it might sound to validate that yes you you understand this is what they're experiencing you're not telling them that it's in their heads um that is the best thing we can do even right now we don't have all the answers but to listen to them and make sure that they know that this you are a person that is a safe person for them to talk to Mm -hmm. all right perfect listen to your patients try to get into what they're really telling you all right again thank you daria for being in the show thank you for having me Thank you for listening to PT Meal Podcast. If you like the show and want to support it, please follow the podcast's social media accounts in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Share the episodes you're listening to or episodes you love to listen to so that the message can reach more people. Also, if you have anything to share with everyone about the profession or your practice, do contact me and we can work something out. If you have any suggestions, feedbacks, questions about the show or the guests uh, of the show, you can reach me through all the podcast social media accounts or through the website www.ptmealpodcast.com or through email at ptmealpodcast at gmail.com. Right, looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Just a reminder, folks, the podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. The show strives to keep all information true and correct, but humans sometimes make mistakes. Factual errors may be present, so we encourage the listeners to do their own research on the featured topics as well. Now, let's go back to the show.